What I want to talk about this morning is where we're actually trying to get to and some of the mindsets we bring into uh, a service like this, an encounter like this. Um, Because we can find ourselves thinking about all kinds of things when we have an amazing opportunity to meet with our God. But uh, I don't know, if at any time during the last hour have you thought about uh, the appropriateness of the song selection? Do you think LJ did a good job on that? She nailed it? Yeah? Thought it was alright? I signed off on it, so... Where's the drummer in time? Was he? Yeah. Um, was the mix from the sound desk balanced? Was the singing in tune? Was, was, was that a good worship time? And what is the measure that, because I'm pretty sure that uh, most of us do measure it, and we do have a sense that was good or it wasn't. And what, is the, what is the measure that we apply to whether the worship time was good or not? It's uplifting, so you can determine... Uh, uh, its value based on how, how you feel afterwards. Let me ask you another question this morning. What do you think is our greatest hindrance to worshipping God? Oh, sweet, good. <laughs> you can go home then, we're done. I'm sure we could come up with a number of potential answers, and um, for me, I'm pretty sure it's me. But uh, things I've heard is that our worship leaders are too young and uh, don't necessarily carry the anointing. Uh, Our services are either too planned or too unplanned. Um, uh, Our songs are too complex or they're a bit simple. Um, The musicians uh, aren't really up to standard, is something I've heard. Uh, There are too many new songs. And there are uh, not enough uh, older songs. And uh, the sound is too loud, uh, too quiet, uh, there's too much drums, or there's not enough drums. Um, I have an interesting job, and um, pretty much my goal is to please, um, I don't know, what's MMP? I probably need about 40%, and maybe, maybe I can keep going with it. But it is very hard because we, we come into these meetings and we have expectations of what it should be like. And um, it can be pretty hard to meet those expectations. And those expectations are almost, almost always not the expectations that God is putting on what would happen when we meet together. Now, of course, all of those hypothetical and not-so-hypothetical responses um, uh, Obviously, I'm sure you saw, they all uh, relate to something which is external, something which is happening around the building. And they apply to the context of church worship uh, and a service and not necessarily the wider definition of worship being a lifestyle. But nevertheless, they they betray a profound misconception that what is really holding us back from truly glorifying God is... uh, is the stuff outside. Contrary to what most people think, 
and what I guess a lot of people in this room have come to understand, the greatest hindrance to us connecting with God and glorifying him and being transformed in his presence is us and the attitudes that we bring in here. There is something within our hearts and our minds. And one way to look at that is that when we walk in here, we are unknowingly bound to idols. Have you ever thought about that? The idea that there might be idols bound to you, to your spirit. I recently read a a thought-provoking article by a worship theologian called Bob Kauflin. And uh, this guy's a very wise uh, teacher in the worship arts. And his article explored the issue of idols, uh, idol mindsets that hold us back from really glorifying God in worship and connecting with him spirit to spirit. And uh, his meditation started out of 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 41. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 41. Do you want to just turn there for a second? Even while these people were worshipping the Lord, they were serving their idols. To this day, their children and grandchildren continue to do as their ancestors did. Even while these people were worshipping the Lord, they were serving their idols. Now, their idols were probably a little different to the ones we have now. And this passage is describing the situation in Samaria in the 8th century B.C., but it could easily be describing the reality of many people sitting in church today. We can honour the Lord externally, engaging in what we perceive to be the right things to do in a worship service. We'll sing, uh, we'll stand, we'll raise our hands, we'll kneel when we feel that, uh, we'll we'll tithe, we'll give, uh, we'll do all the proper things that a Christian should do in worship. Uh, But, At the same time, we can be bowing to false gods in our heart. God makes it abundantly clear in Exodus 20 that he will suffer no competition. Our God is a very jealous God. And the reality is only he is worthy of our worship. He said, you shall have no other gods before me. And anything else is idolatry. Of course, idolatry does sound like quite a full-on word. Idolatry. It sounds like something you probably don't want to be doing. And uh, you could be forgiven to, uh, to be thinking, when I say idolatry, to instantly have an image of, um, of uh, Buddha, maybe, or uh, a statue of Shiva or another pagan god, and think, well, I don't do that. And this kind of thing is pretty much a, a caricature of, of idolatry. And it can be very misleading, because when we think of this being idolatry and this being you know, bowing down to an idol, it can make the things in our life look like it's nothing. But the reality is, an idol, a false god, is anything that we place higher value on than God himself. Anything which uh, goes above him in our relationship, in our mind, in our heart, this is idolatry. Whenever I think I can't worship God unless 
X is present. Whenever I think that, if the X does not stand for the Spirit of Christ, but doesn't stand for God himself, anything else is false worship. The only thing that, that must be present to have an encounter with God is God. We can chuckle, but of course, we tend to get on with things and have uh, a right old wonderful worship time, sometimes without God necessarily needing to be there. Imagine him standing at the door going, do you want me? Can I come in? Or are you guys cool without me? And a lot of times, it feels like we are kind of okay without him, and we carry on, and then into the service, it's like, yeah, that was awesome. That was a great time. And that great time had nothing to do with him. So I want to explore what some of those idols are. What are, what are some of the things that we are carrying around with us that are holding us back from truly glorifying him, truly meeting with him, and truly having a transformational time in his presence? Because that is what this is for. This is why we do this. That God's people would glorify him and be transformed in his presence. So, is that okay? You want to get into this? All right. So, idols. Number one, genre. Genre. Musical genres or styles uh, are very subjective. They're quite personal uh, to us. Uh, We know what we like. Uh, We mostly know what we don't like. Uh, A good number of us have a... uh, a good idea of what we believe is appropriate and not appropriate for a Sunday morning. And there is another group who are pretty darn sure they know what Jesus' favourite music is as well. And uh, some of you have told me what that is. So, uh, got the, uh, I heard you. I'm uh, thinking about it. Musical style becomes an idol to us when it becomes the defining factor in whether we can or whether we will reach out to engage with God and worship him. I have talked with more than a few people who have struggled with this. Uh, And what I have heard um, isn't too far from things like this. The organ is the only sanctified instrument for worship, especially pipe organ. Uh, why are we playing the devil's music in the Lord's house? 4-4 four, four is a voodoo rhythm from the African jungle. I actually did hear that one pretty much word for word. Um, distorted guitars make baby Jesus cry. Um, okay, maybe I stretched that one a little bit. But, um, hymns. Nice, we had a hymn this morning. I love the hymns. Um, this, this, the hymns, that's where it's really at. Oh, that's the real stuff. That's what the disciples, they sung hymns. Um, hymns, rock, country, gospel, uh, acoustic. These musical styles are, think about it this way. These are musical wrapping paper. Okay, you buy a gift for someone, 
unless you're me, you're probably going to want to get some nice wrapping paper to put it around it. Present it nicely. But what happens to wrapping paper? You rip it off. I don't know, Leslie might nicely take off the sellotape and peel it back and then fold it up to use it later. But mostly it gets ripped off and thrown out. Why? Mm. Meh. Wrapping paper, who cares? That's not what the gift is. The gift is locked away inside that and you open it up to reveal what you really wanted to give the person. So when we come to bring the Lord a gift... Is it the wrapping paper that really matters? See, the wrapping paper is the music. It's, uh, you know, we dress it up. We want it to be nice. We want to, to, to present it well. But that's not what counts. What counts is a mind, a will submitted to God. What counts is a heart that loves and adores him. What counts is the humble spirit that we approach him in. That's the gift the rest of it, all of it, is wrapping paper. But we place all the value on the wrapping paper. And we judge a service on how good it kind of looked on the outside. Music is a powerful medium. It can be very emotive and have a profound effect on us, with or without lyrical content. But music is not what it's about. We want to choose uh, the music we use here wisely because it has a purpose. And it's to draw people into something and try to break off distractions. So we want to be wise as we approach these things, to use musical styles which are appropriate for uh, the lyrics, for the lyrical vision we have, uh, which comes down through, uh, through prophecy, through the elders, we want to choose musical styles which are appropriate for the flavour of this house. And this is a very diverse group. Uh, and turns out we don't all listen to the same thing. But we all have the same heart for the Lord. This aside, thinking that we need a certain type of music to truly engage with God is in essence idolatry. Because what has happened is the musical style has now has greater value than his worthiness. His worthiness is what should be driving our worship, not the style of song we use. God is worthy of our worship no matter what the band is playing. So I got an amen on that one? All right. Mm. Okay. Uh, the next idol is tradition. Every church, even those that claim to be non-traditional, have traditions. The Rock has traditions. I've only been here just over three and a half years, but it has been impressed upon me that there are things that The Rock does and should be doing more of. Uh, a tradition is simply anything pretty much you've done more than once. If you've done it more than once, and yeah, I'll probably do it again, that, that becomes uh, a tradition. Uh, so there are some things that you, you take as, uh, we all take as just as rote, that this is the way it should be done. But these are just traditions. Meeting on a Sunday morning to do a church service. Not how the disciples did it 
in the Bible. It has become a tradition for us, not just for the rock, for pretty much everyone, uh, except the Seventh-day Adventists. Um, but everyone else, Sunday is when they meet. That's tradition. Um, having uh, those little cloth bags with the wooden handles on both sides to collect the offering. Uh, that was a long-held tradition uh, here at the Rock that a number of people found it really hard to let go of. Um, the blue buckets, that's now our tradition. Uh, <laughs> yes, sexy blue buckets. It's n- won't go there. Uh, the uh, passing communion juice around in tiny plastic cups once a month. That's a tradition. It's uh, a way that we've come to do things. Uh, three fast songs, notices offering. Two, maybe three slow songs, message, maybe in song. That's a tradition. Um, and some people like it that way. Can traditions serve God, God's purposes? Uh, yes, definitely, they can. Uh, and we tend to repeat things and do them over and over again because we think there's value in them. Somehow they're working. Um, Paul encourages the church in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. Second Thessalonians 2.15, he says, So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by letter. There are traditions, ways of doing things, that it is good to reach out for and grab hold of. Things that are proven, things that the Holy Spirit seems to be blessing. These are good things that we should continue to do. But are our traditions today equal to Scripture in authority? Not so much. Every generation, certainly ours included, is responsible to examine whether or not the traditions uh, that we have inherited or are seeking to establish are biblical and truly help people engage with God. Do they help people glorify him? Do they help people grow into his likeness? And we do need from time to time to really have a good, hard look at the way we do things. Because a whole lot of things get mixed in with what God has called us to do. And it almost feels like it's scripture, like you have to, it's gospel. When it's not, it's just a, it's just, it's just a method. And sometimes the method can become more important than the message. It may sound bizarre to you, but the cross can become an idol to us. I've known a number of people who wear a cross around their neck like a talisman to ward off evil, like an old horror movie. You can whip out your cross when you're you're feeling under spiritual attack and somehow the forces of evil must cower because you've got a little cross. I know people and I'm, I'm not intending to disrespect anyone in particular, but people who don't feel like it is a, a church or if there's not a, a cross somewhere in the room, that it needs the sanctifying presence of that wood for it to be church. And I want to challenge this and things like this because these are traditions that people have adopted 
Do you think that the disciples of Jesus, the 12 that, that walked with him, carried little wooden crosses in their robes? Do you think that they had a, a, uh, a portable kind of cross that they carried with them into the temple courts when they met there daily and they set it up there and, and somehow that sanctified the meeting? We can turn our faith into superstition when we grab hold of some of these things. There is nothing wrong with wearing a cross. I wear my cross on my on my arm. I tattooed that on. It's a, a crown of thorns, and I, I carry I carried that. I got it when I was a younger man to to remind myself of what he had done for me. But there's no power imbued in that ink. It's just a remembrance. Just as there's no power imbued in a little gold cross or a big wooden one we put on the stage. Just a remembrance. God wants us to remember a few other things than the cross. He wants us to remember an empty tomb. He wants to, us to remember tongues of flame coming on the believers empowered to preach the gospel. He wants us to remember the dead raised, the lame walking, souls saved. He wants us to remember all of the great works he did. Traditions become an idol when we can't worship without them. Our worship of God should be limited only by our revelation of him. And the more we grab of him and understand him, the more our worship will flourish. The more of him we know, the more we can respond to. So our revelation is the only thing that should be holding us back. And that's great, because he can grow our revelation It can't be a missing ritual, a methodology, or an icon. If a religious spirit is holding us back from worshipping God, we have got to surrender that spirit to him. We've got to scrub any counterfeit worship laws that have been scribed on the back of our brain. The curtain is torn. We have complete access to him. We can't let traditions put conditions on our entry to his presence. All right, is that good? We got that? All right. Conversely, just as traditions can be an idol to us, so can innovation. Some people struggle with breaking out of a routine. Others struggle with feeling like they're stuck in one. Some people are convinced that a regular turnover of fresh, different, never-been-done-before ideas, gimmicks, and approaches will make our corporate worship more effective, powerful, and appealing. Uh, maybe it's theatrical lighting, uh, a new stage set up, a video clip, candles, live painting during worship, uh, or uh, interpretive dance. It's Kirk's ministry. It's profound. The dove, bro, I love the dove. Uh, these, ca- these can be just right, and they really can bring something to a service, uh, they can also be just wrong. And a lot of the, uh, what determines that uh, is our, um, our motivation. Why are we bringing something new? 
uh, we're bringing something new, uh, as the, just as the psalmist said, um, bring a new song to the Lord, because we have seen something new in him that we want to respond to. Surely, as our revelation continues to grow of him, we should be having new songs all the time. Or are we trying to do new things just to mix it up and just to get cooler and just to keep it fresh and relevant for the kids? The motivation for why we do things is is crucial, and it goes right across the board with this stuff. Creativity is never our goal in worshipping God. It's simply a means to the end of displaying the glory of Christ. And so I'm, in, I'm hugely in favor of exploring different mediums of communication because through those, I might be able to see something of God that I've never seen before. See, me, I'm, I, my expression is, is word and music. I express myself and I receive information through, through word and uh, through music. Uh, that, and that only really getting those things limits me. Uh, those are only two facets of a number. When I'm exposed to other communication mediums, I can see things that I've never seen before, um, things that I haven't always understood. But uh, God speaks through those, and I know that uh, it speaks to different people if it's through something a lot more visual like art or something tactile like dance. And there are so many other expressions as well. These things can help the truth to have a greater impact on us, to break through our mindsets. A creative approach to lighting and music can help create an environment that dulls the distractions of the world around us and focuses us in on God. There's a reason why we you know, start with three quick songs. We want the kick drum pounding through. We want to get your foot stomping. We want to get your hand slapping. We want you to stop thinking about whatever happened this morning. Whatever dramas were on the, on the, on the drive-in, if you've got kids, it's probably a hundred things that would be pretty best if you forget about for a minute. So that we can come into this time and focus on him. So there's a part of the music which... It's trying to wrestle your attention back to focus on him. And we're very careful to choose lyrics which declare his greatness, the greatness of his nature and of his works, so that you can focus on him, and the music is a tool to help you with that. We'll often drop the lighting and maybe throw some colors up here to bring your attention in, to focus on, on the meditation that is on the screen, just to forget about the people around you. So even though we are in a corporate space and our minds are united, we don't want you thinking about whether the person next to you appreciates your singing or not. Because who cares? It's not what it's about. So we want to be unified, but not concerned about what is going on around us. And so we use tools. We use creative tools. We use the, the gifts that God has given us to do that. But if we walk away from a corporate worship time like this, and we are more blown away by the creative stuff the band did or the other production guys did, if we're more blown away by that than an encounter with God, in Houston we have a problem. And I've had those experiences. I've come away from services just blown away about that awesome arrangement. And then the strings came in and it was, oh my goodness, 
And I said, blah, 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 on about how awesome the production team were and the band was and somehow have missed an awesome encounter with God. That's a fail on the other end. Isaiah 42 verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. We come away from a worship service and all we can think about is how awesome the band was. Well, we've handed the Lord's glory onto people. We have stolen his glory and the Lord will not abide that. As Bob Kaufman put it, each time we meet to worship God, he should be the all-consuming centre of our attention and affections. His greatness and splendour should become bigger in our minds, hearts and wills. His desires and commands should become more precious to us. Jesus Christ and his atoning work should be more glorious and amazing to us than anything else. That is what we are meeting for. The last idol I want to mention this morning is musical excellence. Offering God our best definitely has a biblical precedent. Exodus chapter 23, 19 and Numbers 18, 2. God is looking for the best that we can offer him. And we are told to bring the best of our first fruits. And we are told to present as the Lord's portion the best and holiest part of everything that we bring. In today's worship culture, the best is usually defined as awesome studio standard music. This expectation is a problem on and off the stage. On the stage, the worship musicians can easily become more concerned about the standard of their music than they are the standard of their morality or the standard of their relationship with God. You've got a job there to do and people are listening and watching you and what is on display is your musical talent. But what you're there to do is help people engage with God, which is a spiritual transaction. What really matters is what's going on inside. But too many people pour their effort, their energy into the external, what people can see. Church leaders can become more concerned with making worship services bigger, better and slicker and can be quick to blame the band, or probably the sound guy, uh, if the service is feeling flat. Service is feeling flat. Do you think the problem is really the music? And if the music can fix it and get the service back on track, what's going on there? Off the stage, the congregation can hold their worship musicians to unfair and unrealistic comparisons and expectations. There's a hundred, at least, I'm sure, different dynamics at play that make Hillsong sound like Hillsong. Who they are as people, the revelation they have, the musical talent, uh, the financial investment, uh, the anointing that God has put on them as a church, the calling, their purpose in the body of Christ. 
um, the hours and hours and hours of, of practice they put in as they dedicated to fulfilling their purpose. All of that, plus their own culture and personal flavour, makes Hillsong sound like Hillsong. They sound pretty awesome, right? God has got something on them. Uh, basically, we're not Hillsong, uh, and God is not calling us. Um, oh, I need to confirm that with the elders. Is the Lord calling us to be Hillsong? Bethel, uh, another legendary church that God is blessing in that certain way. Okay, good. That was what I thought. That is not the vision that God has given this house. God wants us to be the rock. He wants us to carry and run with the vision he has for us. He wants us to sound like us, like the rock. He wants us to write music like the rock. He wants us to preach like the rock. He wants us to minister and work as the rock. And we're going to be different to everyone else. If the quality of the music here is holding you back from worshipping God, you need to take a good hard look at yourself. Do you really think God cares if someone hits a bum note or drops a beat or sings a bit flat in the bridge. Believe me, he doesn't. He really doesn't. On or off the stage. He does care, though, if our worship has no integrity. And the integrity, depth, and passion of your worship has nothing to do with what happens on stage. It is entirely dependent on what is happening in here. My commitment as a worship leader and as a worship musician is that I will, I will practice. I practice hard. And I do it firstly for God. He has given me something. And I want to honour him with it. So when I practice, that is a sacrifice for me. Just as David would not uh, sacrifice to the Lord uh, an offering that had not cost him, I want to give the Lord an offering that has cost me. And that cost, I pay during the week. I pay that cost at one in the morning on Saturday trying to get that chart nailed for Sunday morning. I pay it then, and that is part of my gift to him. My practice, the investment I put in is for him for that, and also because I want to give him a good and pleasing gift. I actually think God likes music. I don't know if he likes all the music that I do. Maybe he does, but God is the source of all creation. He is the source of everything creative. Music comes from him. He likes it and that's why he gave it to us. So when I give it back to him, I like it to sound good. I like to know that I've given him my best. So my, my practice, my investment in music, that's for him first. But I also practice for you because I don't want to hit bum notes. I don't want to do anything on stage that will distract you from connecting with him. And even though atmosphere doesn't affect God at all, atmosphere does affect people and people do respond to it. And I want to try to create the best environment possible for you to meet with him without distractions. And I know that maybe if I play that chord and, and that, that line of music, that, that can lift. Music has a very emotive power and it can lift and amplify something which is happening in you. So I want to give my best to help you engage with him. And this is what the priests did 
in the Old Testament, the role of the priesthood and the Levites was to help the people and facilitate their offering. So if you had an offering for the Lord, be it a sin offering or a free will offering, a love offering, you would bring that to the tabernacle and you would give that to the priests and they would, they would sacrifice it there. But it was your offering. Their role was to facilitate that transaction. And that's what we're trying to do, facilitate an engagement and transaction with you and God and do what we can to help you connect with him. And a lot of you don't need anything from us. A lot of you do just fine. But I know sometimes I come in, and you know what? I need a boost. I need encouragement. I need encouragement to reach out to him, to focus on him, to realize he is bigger than whatever else is happening in my life. That's what it says in Hebrews 10. Do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but to continue to meet together for the encouragement. And even more as you see the day approaching. God called us to do this to encourage each other. That's what we're trying to do with all of this. In corporate worship, excellence is about what encourages the church and builds it up and about what glorifies God. Pursuing excellence wisely means continuing to grow in our skill so that we won't distract those who we're seeking to serve. Sometimes it means that maybe we need to play fewer notes to allow more space for people to meditate on the words. It means I may have to rein in the wonderful complexity of a song to make it more accessible to the congregation. It means I might need to uh, sometimes not play at all so that the people gathered can hear their own voice lifted in praise. Musical excellence, defined rightly, is a worthy pursuit, but like all idols, it is a terrible God. What all of these things, when they become idols in our life, what what they do is they hold us back from grabbing hold of the potential in these times together. God makes his presence known, felt in these times because he wants to meet with his people. He wants to bring healing. He wants to bring love. He wants to bring revelation. He wants to bring encouragement. And we cannot let anything stop us from grabbing hold of what he has for us. And what a special time we have as God's people to meet together and lift his name high. His worth should trump anything else going on. We cannot let anything stop his people giving him glory. We cannot let anything steal his glory. This is his house. This is his time. So what do you what do you do with a message like this? I um I certainly don't want anyone to feel any judgment or condemnation. And I have started with uh, four idols which I have known in my own life, and from time to time still have to deal with. It's complicated being the worship pastor because uh, it's almost like you're doing a, a mini performance review every time the band gets up on stage. 
But what I need to see, and what we all do, is see beyond that to see what God wants to do in a service. The purpose of, of this message, and a couple more to come, is to challenge us to reflect on the unhelpful mindsets and heart positions we carry into worship with us. Mindsets that hinder us from meeting with God and glorifying Him. Today we've looked at just four, and we need to pull these down and put them in their proper place. Hebrews 12 calls us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We are walking in with those things. We need to identify them, see them for what they are, and submit them. What is hindering your worship? Here, in these times, or out there in the rest of your life? Let's take a minute to prayerfully reflect on what could be our own worship idols. And then in prayer with the Lord now, I'd encourage you to throw those off. Confess them to the Lord. Ask them to cut any ties they have to you. And that you'd be able to grow deeper and deeper in your encounters with them. So I want you just to consider the things that I've shared and anything else you think might be hindering you in your worship times. Confess that to the Lord and then walk free from that from now on. Is that okay? All right, let's just take, some, let's take a minute. Of endless words, no, 